Don't forget, guys, that in the back of the room over there is a prayer room. Shane Smith is the chairman of our elders here at Capital City. He's in that prayer room right now, and he's going to be praying for you guys during this service. If anybody needs to pray with him or have him pray for you or just talk to you about your life with Christ, just kind of slip back into that prayer room at any time, and he'll be glad to be there with you. So, guys, it just keeps coming at us, doesn't it? Things that are tearing us apart as a country, things that are threatening to tear us apart as a church. There's a pandemic that has divided us, and we're just not on the same page. How bad is it really? What impact should it have on how we live? When and how should we reopen? And like it or not, there's a difference of opinion on these things based on whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, right? And then there's the racial unrest and the fights over policing, reparations, things like that. And like it or not, there's a difference of opinion on those things based on whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. And now politics are becoming even more center stage. Trump, Pence, Biden, Harris. Next week's the Democratic Convention. Two weeks, the Republican Convention. Then the debates. Then Tuesday, November the 3rd, the vote. Followed by what? Weeks, months, perhaps, of squabbling before they ever certify a victor? Politics. Right now, it just kind of colors everything, doesn't it? Pandemic, race, abortion, gun control, gay rights, charter schools, taxes, Supreme Court, progressivism, personal liberty. So that's what we're going to talk about for a couple of weeks. And some of you guys are like, okay, if that's the case, I'm out of here. I mean, you're hoping that church is a place you can go to escape all that nonsense, right? So you're tempted to tune out or maybe to tell me off when you get home on your computer or perhaps face-to-face. And others of you are kind of like, finally, and you're kind of leaning in. Some of you guys have been frustrated that we don't talk about politics more here at Cap City. So some of you guys are curious whether I agree with you or not, which means in your mind, am I messed up or not? Others of you are assuming that I do agree with you because every good Jesus follower has to agree with you, right? And you're hoping that I'll set everyone else straight. Bottom line, we usually avoid talking politics here at Cap City. This is a political town, more political than most. Half of you guys work for the state, and there are people in this church family on both sides of nearly every issue, passionately sometimes. Nevertheless, after 25 years of extreme care, I'm finally going to talk about the elephant in the room. That's humor. Did you get it? I think it's time. Because maybe never before in our lifetime have we been so polarized. Maybe never before in our lifetime has the political climate so affected and threatened the church. We're set up to be torn apart as a church family. With the pandemic, the racial strife, the economic fragility, all converging in the election this fall. So for three weeks we're going to talk about politics and faith. We're going to be focusing on politics and faith for Jesus followers. I know this series is primarily for Jesus followers, but guys, if you're not a Jesus follower yet, I think it'd be good to listen in. I think the big ideas would work for you too, and they will give you a peek at why following Jesus is so powerful. So let's start here. You ready? Why? Why do you think the way you do? 
you're a Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever, why? Capitalist, Socialist, whatever, how did you get that way? And why is it that the good people, good people around you in this room don't all see it the way you do? I mean, sometimes the way we see it seems so obvious to us, right? Well, like, what's wrong with you if you can't see it my way? Well, maybe thinking a bit about why people think what they think will help. Now, this is only a piece of it, but there was a guy by the name of Rufus Miles. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. He was born in Cincinnati, believe it or not, a really smart guy. He was high up in the Eisenhower and Kennedy and Johnson administrations, in other words, both Republican and Democrat. Wrote several important books, taught at Princeton. He said a lot of smart things. Here's one thing that he said. He said, where you stand depends on where you sit. Where you stand depends on where you sit. It's not the whole story, but it plays a huge role. Where you stand depends on where you sit. In other words, our contexts will shape our perspectives. Now, sometimes people do work out their perspectives just logically, but usually, whether consciously or not, our perspectives are shaped by things that we don't always control. Where we live, how we were raised, where we were educated, the people we live with, work with, what we've been told, what we've seen, what we've experienced. Where you stand depends on where you sit. That's not right or wrong. It just is. It means that your political views were not shaped in a vacuum. There were influences that channeled your minds in a given direction. There are influencers family, friends, coaches, teachers, authors, others who have spoken into your life in such a way that they have shaped how you think. You buy that? So here's my question to you. Who shaped you? What shaped you? And maybe more importantly, who's influencing you right now? Who's guiding the way you think, influencing the way you think. Who do you hang with? Who do you listen to? I don't mean who's making noise around you. There's so everybody making noise. But who are you listening to? What do you watch? What do you read? What sites do you have marked? Because some of this stuff you can control. You can't control your past, but you can't control who you're listening to now, and you can control to some degree where you're going in your future, right? And if you are a Jesus follower and you're talking about influencers, shouldn't he be number one? Shouldn't he be first? Isn't that what it means to call Jesus Lord? Have you let him shape you? Even in your politics. Be honest. Which is bigger to you, your political filter or your faith filter? Which one's bigger? Are you an American first, then a Christian? Or are you a Christian first and then American? Are you a Republican or a Democrat first and then a Jesus follower? Or are you a Jesus follower and somewhere down the line a Republican or a Democrat? Are you willing to follow Jesus even when he clashes with your candidate, when he clashes with your party, which he always does? Always. Listen, Jesus followers, what if, 
What if as Jesus followers, we put our politics through the filter of our faith rather than filtering our faith through our politics? What difference would that make? Now, this next piece is going to sound absolutely crazy to some of you guys, no matter what party you belong to. But I could start out this series this morning by showing how the Republican Party and the Republican platform reflect the teaching of Jesus. Republicans are the party for Jesus followers, right? Some of you guys are like, no kidding. And others of you guys are like, huh? And then next week, I can start out the second sermon by teaching how the Democratic Party and the Democratic platform reflect the compassion of Jesus. Democrats are the party for real Jesus followers, right? And some of you guys are like, huh? And some of you guys are like, well, no kidding. Bottom line, both sides quote from the Bible, don't they? In fact, sometimes they both use the same verses. Both sides claim Jesus. Both sides accuse the other side of dissing Jesus. Too often, both sides pick and choose which pieces of Jesus they grab to support their agenda. They don't start with the Bible. They don't start with Jesus. They start with politics. They start with an agenda. And then they find a way to get Jesus on their side, right? What if... Instead, as Jesus followers, we start with Jesus no matter where that takes us. Be hard, really, really, really hard. But I wonder if that's what being a Jesus follower really means. I'm going to show you two verses from our new covenant with God. These are big verses. What difference would it make if we tried to live these two verses out? First one is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Huh. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God mold your minds from within. That's the Phillips translation. Here it is in the NLT. You ready? It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, which we tend to do. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Because God can do that. Here it is in the message. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture, don't fit in so well to your culture, that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and he will change you from the inside out. In other words, don't let culture control you. Don't let media direct your path. Don't let the social media shape you. Don't let any politician define truth for you or your family or your friends or your profs or your heroes because we are Jesus followers. So we let him shape the way we think. Shouldn't that apply to our politics, guys? By the way, these are imperatives. They're commands for us Jesus followers. They're not options, suggestions. This is kind of a literal translation. You shall not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Instead, you shall be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so as Jesus followers, we say, 
Yes, sir. Change the way we see things, God, so we can see things the way that you do and do things you, the things you want us to do, right? Here's the second verse. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. This is from the NIV. We demolish arguments, demolish them, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought. We take captive every thought. That's interesting, isn't it? To make it obedient to Christ. Now, that's countercultural. In a culture that says, you've got your truth and I've got my truth. Guys, it's not for Jesus followers. There's just truth and it's defined by God. So we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God because that's all it is, is pretense. And then here's the big one for us. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's something that's intentional, isn't it? Good news translation. We take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. We make our thinking obey Christ because sometimes it's going to resist. It's going to be hard, right? Philip's translation. We fight to capture every thought until it acknowledges the authority of Christ, which means there is no, that's just what I think, with his help, we take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. It's our choice. There's a great preacher, teacher down in Dallas, Texas named Tony Evans. Ever hear of him, Tony Evans? He's really, really good, which may have something to do with the fact that he's a Dallas Cowboys fan, right? He really is. Here's the way he put it. <clears throat> he says, Jesus did not come to take sides. He came to take over. Vern quoted that earlier. Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Read it with me, would you? Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Do you believe that? He didn't come here to support your political preferences or your political party. He didn't come here to lend support to your positions. He came to guide us into God's truth and to take over our allegiance. He did not come to prop up any human system. He came to build a kingdom that is infinitely more important than anything we fight about here. If we could only get that. And here's the deal. Here's the irony, the paradox. When we Jesus followers are transformed when we Jesus followers take our thoughts captive and make them obey Christ, that's when we change the world. That's when we change the world. We turn the world upside down, which is our job. Which is why it would be foolish for any church or any group of churches or the church in general ever to be divided over political issues or any political party because one day those parties will all be dead and Jesus will still be king. So let me show you how it's supposed to work. When Jesus followers take their thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, how transformed Jesus followers change the world. Here's a little story from history. You ready? Earliest church was such a weird cluster of people, kind of like this one. We were. We're going to unpack that a whole lot more next week. 
But it was a weird cluster of people who grew up disagreeing on just about everything. Males and females. And if you think sexism is bad in our world, you should have lived back then when women were often little more than just property. There were slaves and there were free. And if you think racial injustice is in our world back then, everybody assumed that some were just born slaves. Some were born to rule. Others were born to be slaves. Talk about disagreeing on nearly everything. Jews and Greeks in the same room. There were different Jesus followers from every one of the different social stations, rich, poor, powerful, powerless. We were a weird, weird cluster of people whose worldviews should have shattered anything that we have in common, but it didn't because they were transformed. They took every thought captive and make them obedient to Christ, and they let Jesus take over. So this is what happened. Somewhere in the 60s A.D., the apostles Peter and Paul were both executed by the emperor Nero. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Should have panicked the Jesus followers, shouldn't it? I mean, the superheroes of the early church are now dead. Did Rome win? <laughs> nah, Christianity kept spreading like crazy. About 45 years after Peter and Paul died, there was a guy named Pliny who was a Roman governor of a region that is now in Turkey. It was Pliny's job to repress Christians because following Jesus, worshiping Jesus in that world was illegal. Now, following Jesus had been illegal for quite a while. We still spread like crazy. But apparently as the Rome edges of the Roman Empire began to fray, Romans figured the gods must be angry, the gods, because the Romans thought there were boatloads of them. Why were the gods angry? Well, maybe they're not being worshipped the way that they should be. Why not? Well, maybe these Christians had something to do with it. After all, they refused to worship the gods. So apparently there's this law, this edict, that Christians should be forced to sacrifice to the gods, that Christians should be forced to acknowledge the emperor as lord. So this governor, Pliny, says, well, I guess I have to do what the emperor says, but I'm not sure why. I haven't really seen for myself what these Christians are doing that's so wrong. So he writes a letter to the emperor, a guy named Trajan. This is the question. What should I do with these Christians when I round them up? Because he's done some investigating. He's done some investigating, and he wants to know what makes these Christians so dangerous, what makes us so dangerous. And this is what he discovered about us Christians about 45 years after Peter and Paul were executed by Nero. Here's what I found, he says. He says, the sum and substance of their fault, these Christians... Because they've got to be at fault or we wouldn't be arresting them, right? I discovered that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day of the week before dawn. Well, that's kind of weird. So we sent out as spies and actually arrested a few of us Christians, kind of roughed us up a little bit to find out what this was going, what was going on. And he says, I'm kind of confused. I don't understand their threat to the empire. Apparently, these Jesus followers 
meet before daylight, before dawn. <laughs> they probably would have met later in the day, but Sunday at that time was a work day, right? But they met before dawn to celebrate the resurrection of their Jesus, go figure. By the way, just a question for you. If we moved our church services to 5.30 in the morning so that you guys could have a full day's work, would you come? And these were our people. And that shows how committed they were, how moved and transformed they were. Pliny keeps on going. He says when they get together early in the morning before dawn, they sing. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe they sing like some of you guys, right? <clears throat> Or maybe their songs are just terrible. They got tired of the repetition, right? <clears throat> it says they sing responsively a hymn. They sing to Christ, this Jesus, as if he are some kind of a God. Well, that's weird. So the next time we're singing and we sing some songs you don't like or you don't like to sing, think about this. About 2,000 years ago, our people got up early before dawn to gather and sing to Jesus Probably for a little different reason than we do, because back then most people couldn't read. Not only could they not read, but they didn't have anything to read. They didn't have a Bible yet. I mean, they might have a fragment of a gospel or maybe a piece of one of Paul's or Peter's letters. But in many of these communities, there was nothing to read, no one who could read. So they learned their theology through their chants and through their poems and through their songs. So they'd sing a hymn, which is one of the ways that they worshiped Christ as a God. Huh. Pliny goes on. Here's another thing we discovered about these dangerous Jesus followers. While together, they would bind themselves together with an oath. Huh. They swear an oath to each other. Oh, maybe that's where they're dangerous. They're swearing these oaths. Maybe the oath had something to do with undermining the empire or something equally dastardly, right? Maybe they're swearing to support some kind of, a, of an insurrection like a slave revolt. What were we swearing? And he says, well, we were baffled. They weren't swearing an oath to support something nefarious. No, they swore not to commit fraud, <laughs> not going to steal from people, charge people too much, treat people dishonestly when it comes to finances. They swore not to steal. They promised out loud to each other. They promised they wouldn't commit adultery. They wouldn't break a promise. Huh. Jesus' followers sound dangerous, don't they? I mean, we can't have people like that in our world. And when Pliny discovers all this, he's thinking, these Jesus' followers are a little weird. But they seem like really good people. I'm supposed to arrest you guys? Now, here's part of what blew their minds. In the pagan religions of their time, they didn't connect religion and morality. Civil law kept the people in line. It came to the gods. Gods didn't care how you treat people. Gods didn't care how you treat your wife or your kids. Gods didn't care. They just want your sacrifices, your offerings. Basically, religion is about trying to bribe your God to support your agenda. And then suddenly there's this cult of Christians. And they feel that somehow in their worship of God, there's this moral component as if they're accountable to God for how they treat each other. Ordinary people being transformed by this Jesus. That was weird. 
Imagine what would happen in our community or in our country if every week we Christians gathered and we made an oath together. This week I will not defraud anyone, financially, otherwise. This week I won't steal anything, any ideas, any credit. This week I'm going to be faithful to my husband or my wife. This week I'm not going to let anyone down. I'm going to keep my promises. This week I'm going to take every thought captive and make it obey Jesus. So Governor Pliny is like, that's it. That's what we've got on him. That's all we could find out. We even tortured a few Christians to see if we could find anything else devious. We even sent in a few spies. That's all we got. This is the group that's undermining the empire. This is the group that we're tasked to eliminate. Makes no sense. Really made no sense that this was the cluster of people who changed the world, and we did. It was ridiculous to an untransformed mind. These Jesus followers were worshiping a crucified rabbi as a god. (laughs) How weird is that? But for others, people found this upside-down kingdom of Jesus appealing. We Jesus followers just thought about things differently than others. We behaved differently than others. We Jesus followers refused to abandon the sick. You know why? Because we didn't fear death. We Jesus followers no longer abandoned babies. You know why? Because we believe that every single person is made in the image of God, even the little guys. In fact, we Jesus followers would actually go to the places where babies were left, exposed. We'd bring those children in and raise them as their own. Weird people. Their thinking was different. They extended dignity to their slaves and their servants and the people who weren't in their class as they were working through these things. Who are these people? Well, there are weird people like us of every different kind, like us, who are trying to let God transform their minds, which he will if we let him. These were people who were trying to take every thought captive and make them obey Christ. We can too. These were the strange people who elevated their faith above their politics, no matter what the personal cost. These were the people who recognized that Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And even though they disagreed on so many things, our allegiance to Jesus and our love for each other was infinitely bigger than anything we disagree about. Infinitely bigger. And this Jesus following became contagious and it swept through the empire like an airborne disease and it still can infinitely more contagious, infinitely more powerful than this COVID-19. And against all odds, this weird little cluster of Jesus followers, people like us, who worshipped a crucified rabbi with no territory, no military, no authority, no political power, no political standing, whose message were built around two big ideas, love God with everything you have and love each other as much as you love yourselves, not only survived... We thrived and we shaped Western civilization. 
every single Jesus follower here or watching online is part of that movement. And we dare not. This is why we dare not be divided over party lines knowing that one day those parties will be over. His kingdom will still stand. So guys, we're going to spend three weeks talking about politics and faith and we're going to start here. He's Lord. Faith first. He's Lord of everything. So we will do everything we can to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So we have some work to do. Guys, we have one king, right? His name is Jesus. And we will elevate faith over our politics every single time. Competition won't even be close because he is our king. We give him permission to transform us from the inside out because he lets us resist him. We will try to take every thought captive and make them obedient to Christ. We'll do whatever we can to let him be the primary influencer of our life in everything from now on. Which means, as Jesus' followers, we swear to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we swear to love each other as much as we love ourselves. Because the two are connected. You can't love God without loving those that God loves, and you can't love those that God loves without trying to connect them to God. So let's be that kind of church. No matter what we agree on politically, disagree on, loving our God and loving each other is infinitely bigger. And if we do that, God can use us to change our world. Guys, we're not done yet. We're just getting started. Next week, we're going to talk about how big unity is in this polarized world and what that means for us as a church family. In two weeks, we're going to talk about love. Loving people who are just weird, like Jesus does. I hope you follow along. I hope it affects how you do life with God. If you're not a Jesus follower yet, guys, let's get it started. Right? No time to wait. Never put off doing the right thing. If you're not a Jesus follower, we need to talk. We're going to get to see another baptism again in the second service. Isn't that cool? person making Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. If you need to talk about making Jesus Lord of your life, I'm going to be sitting right down here. You can go to the back, talk to Shane. He's in our prayer room. We'll hang around here at the end of the service. Let's talk. If you want to talk about making Capital City your home, you want to be part of a weird bunch like this, you're welcome here. We'd love to have you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace. And I pray, Lord, that we will recognize what it means to call you Lord and how that puts everything else, everything else into its place. We want to be Christians. Christians first. In the name of Christ, we pray these things.